I'm Doug Duran, a landowner trying to be a conservationist. I'm Tabitha Panis, president of the Iowa Prairie Network. I'm Ryan Callahan, director of conservation at Meat Eater. Angela from X and Root Homestead. Chris Helzer, the Nebraska director of science for the Nature Conservancy. Judd McCollum from Working Class Bowhunter. Taylor Keene, founder of Sacred Seed. Ryan Bryson of Bryson Wildlife. This is Luke Fritch. This is James Holtz. Joy Van Weingarten. Sam Sohold. Phil Ebert. Julie Meachin. And you are listening to the Prairie Farm. The Prairie Farm. Prairie Farm. Prairie Farm. Prairie Farm Podcast. Prairie Farm Podcast. Welcome to the Prairie Farm Podcast. It finally happened. We held up our end of the deal. Uh, you know, that was one of the things I kind of felt guilty about when we were <laughs> sweating it out. I like how Doug said it earlier today, 100 degrees ago. Uh, when we were sweating it out, digging up big blue stem, I was thinking, that was a really hard day at work, and these guys are a long way away from hunting. <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> and they most of them were pretty long ways away from home. Had yeah. a long drive home. Yep. And uh, today, though, do you feel like it paid off? Oh, it definitely paid off. I, I think we had a, a great hunt in the morning. Um, the dogs worked great. It was uh, good weather for walking around in pheasants, despite some of our. Uh, you know, Southern cameramen, uh, comments, but was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the birds held great. And yeah, good morning. You, you did a, you did a nice job comparing what today's experience was like to some of your, uh, um, public land experiences, hunting pheasants here in Iowa. Can you kind of like just set the stage a little bit for us by explaining how this access was different for you? Oh yeah. I mean, you could tell right away that it hadn't been, <clears throat> trampled every day of the season for the last month um and i only say that because i i saw a rooster in gun range mm. and, uh, that, <laughs> that that had rarely happened to me um earlier in the season despite a lot of miles being put in so um yeah i mean i'm always happy to get out on public land and enjoy that resource but uh today was definitely a treat the the birds were holding really well and um we got on a lot of them yeah yeah that was a great way to sum it up by the way that was the voice of jace elliott uh, you can, you can hear him on the first episode of sharing the land. And also he, uh, is our state whitetail biologist. So you can uh, go back to that episode and the audio on that one was, it's uh, rough. We, we just I, need I to almost, re- redo yeah, that. One, I almost but. don't even want to recommend going back. <laughs> it was, something happened. It was like in the file transfer and it was just, yeah, I think that's what happened. It was ugly, but you sound, you sounded good. Well, no, you sounded terrible, but what you said was good. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's right. Thanks. <laughs> it's kind of like the Bob Dylan effect, right? The words were great. <laughs> I'm actually one of the, the 50% that likes the sound of Bob Dylan, though. You know. But anyways, yeah. So Jace was here today. We also have Robbie back with us, Robbie Nace, and uh, Mike Schwartzlander. We, uh, Bart, unfortunately couldn't be here today, um, even though he's earned it. So Bart, you still got to hunt, man. You just got to come back out. It's going to be a little bit harder though, by yourself, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but, uh, all, all of, all these guys though, just what's interesting to me and, and earlier when we were doing some of the filming stuff and, uh, Mike, you actually called this out. You said, Hey, I see some of our work. (laughs) You could see some of those big root balls flipped over (laughs) that we were chopping up and everything. And, and, uh, uh, you know how it's hard to explain, but you know how like after a big family get together, like maybe a wedding or a funeral or a, like a graduation party, and you had all that time catching up with all these people that meant something to you, and then you got to like go clean up after it. And there's almost like this sadness, you know what I mean? Like, man, that's over. 
Well, I had that when I had to go back into that big blue or into that Indian grass by myself and dig up the rest of the stuff and, and spray out what we couldn't dig up and everything else. Because I was thinking back to the good time that I had with all these guys that that uh, now care about. And Ken that makes piece it sound like it was like a day. It was like two weeks, two solid weeks of yeah. working out in, in the grass field. But well, it was really interesting too. Something we should throw in here. So that was on a, I think that was a Tuesday as well, because Doug, you got in on a Monday for, for the early filming stuff. And then Tuesday was the work day. Wednesday, you guys finished up for the first half. And that Saturday we uh, recruited some high school kids that Nicholas knew. And um, another, we had another seasonal employee come in and we did another big section within that area of digging up big blue and the grass because of that heat, the grass had grown. Oh man, yeah, it was like eighteen inches. Yeah, so it was it, over our head. Chin, what was it about? Chin high or chest high when we were in there, and it was a foot above your head by Saturday. It was miserable. Week. I broke out in hives from like <laughs> literally from head to toe. I'd never done that before. I had a severe allergic reaction, but we went in there and we got a bunch. That of sounds stuff. like a setup for a guy who doesn't want to do it next <laughs> year. <laughs> Look, I would. It's an allergic reaction, man. I am sorry. I'm going to give everyone a life tip. If you're trying to find high schoolers uh, that, or you need labor and you don't want to pay $40 an hour for it, um, either have land so that you can be part of sharing the land and and get labor, or go with high schoolers that one of two things, have girlfriends or have a truck because they always need money for something. <laughs> so, that's right. So I did ask all the high schoolers that I knew had a truck or a girlfriend. So that's how you filtered it down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Then they that's work harder smart. and they want to come back. Yeah. Strategic, better. strategic. Yep. But, and of course we got the man himself, Doug Duran, the person who should, should we say you thought all this up because you always say you stole it from Aldo Leopold, but but uh, maybe breathe life back into the the model that the Riley Game Cooperative um, really kind of started this whole thing, putting it together and formalizing it a little bit. But yeah, you know, I uh, thought I knew everything about Elder Leopold, right? Because I've yeah. been a disciple, I guess would be the the, the term. And uh, about 15 years ago, I was taking a bicycle trip along um, the rails trail through mm-hmm. Riley, Wisconsin. And uh, with a friend of mine, and I said, hey, there's a tavern in Riley that we ought to stop at. Famous, famous tavern. And uh, we pull into the, the little parking area there by the, where the, the trail comes up. And there's a trailhead there, and, and they were installing this um, kiosk. And in the kiosk is a picture of Elder Leopold. And I start reading this thing and realized that I was about to learn something about about <laughs> Leopold that I didn't know, and that is he had started this Riley Game Cooperative um, <clears throat> near Madison, uh, Verona, um, this little town called Riley. And the, the whole idea of it was that it was sort of by happenstance, really, and it was the 1930s, and of course we all know that was the uh, um, Depression era, and he was out, as he said, driving around looking for a place to hunt, and came across this farmer who was watching washing his milk cans and happened to be Reuben Paulson and a conversation ensued and uh he said well gee is there any chance that uh, I could hunt here you know sounds like Eldo was a pretty good schmoozer <laughs> yeah. and uh he goes well and, and Paulson said sure you could you could hunt here but we don't really have much game and I have a problem with trespassers 
And Leopold said something to the effect of, well, I, I don't know what we can do about the trespassers other than maybe to post your land, but part of the reason you don't have much game is your habitat isn't that great. Mm. So they got into then the conversation about habitat and um, struck upon this idea that Leopold and his buddies would come out and, and help out and um, improve the habitat, plant some native species. They actually raised the, paid the farmer's kids to uh, raise pheasants, which they ended up releasing. Okay, yeah. But then uh, native upland birds came, and then they established a beautiful area. They established a native uh, population there. And it was uh, this cooperative started and ended up having, I think, 11 farms and something wow. like, you know, uh, 15 or 1,800 acres, hmm. small farms in Wisconsin. Um, and it became a really a community based on conservation and cooperation. Hmm. Um, and they all shared in the work, and Leopold and his buddies uh, paid for a lot of the, uh, the inputs. And um, it became this community, and every year there was an event at the end, and and, um, you know, there's a musician from years ago <clears throat> named Harry Chapin, and I remember him telling a story about a song that, uh, that he came up with. He said, I came up with this song, and uh, my, my daughter was drawn on the, at the kitchen table, and she made this picture of this rainbow, and it said, Love Rainbow on it. Hmm. And uh, he said, you know, good artists borrow and great artists steal so i stole that sucker <laughs> and, uh, and so when i read that and when i saw that it was interesting because it was 15 years ago and it was about the time that i met steve ranella and i was getting more involved and and it sort of harkened me back to the the days when i was a kid in the 60s and 70s when i hunted with my buddies but yeah. if, if they needed some help on their farm you went and did it and then we all kind of you just went everywhere land wasn't locked up right there wasn't no trespassing signs weren't something that that we ever saw so that sort of was in my head and um all these things ensued with getting to know steve and, and you know gaining whatever little platform it is that i have and then um, started doing some work with pheasants forever mm -hmm. and um, they invited me to pheasant fest a friend of mine aaron holmes who was uh, one of the regional biologists at the time invited me to come to pheasant fest in schaumburg and um, talk about the Riley Game Cooperative. So mm. I put together a presentation and, and did that. Um, and I remember, uh, I remember uh, uh, Zach Sandow from Onyx mm -hmm. standing at the back of the crowd in one of them with his, his arms crossed and this big smile on his face. <laughs> and I kept, I didn't know it was Zach Sandow from Onyx at the time. I just saw the hat with the X on it, you know. And um, afterwards, he walked up to me. He goes, I'm really interested in this idea that you're talking about. If you ever end up wanting to do something about this, Onyx would be really interested in helping you do that. That's awesome. And so here we, hit, we, so here we come forward. I guess that was seven years ago now. And two years ago, um, we hatched the, or launched, I guess, hatched being, I suppose, one of the terms, but <laughs> launched the idea of sharing the land and... Uh, you know, built a website and um, certainly had been doing it as an example on our farm. And uh, so we had a model that we could we could show other people. And um, and now we have um, 30 different properties in nine different states. Mm. Yeah, that's incredible. That's really cool. When you were giving that talk, were you giving it from the standpoint of like, hey, we should do this? Or were you just talking about the past? I was really talking about, uh, I think the title of the thing was, um, 
uh, access for the 21st century, an old idea, bringing an old idea forward. And what was different to me, um, other than you know the, the obvious uh, part about Leopold, was that I couldn't understand why it fell apart. And it fell apart in the, in the 1950s. Well, one big thing happened is that Leopold died. Yeah. And he was definitely the driving force behind yeah. it. But the other part is in those days, access wasn't really a problem. Private mm. land access, you could knock on a door and, and, or do like I did in the 60s and 70s. And we just worked with everybody and, and you were able to do it. Yeah. So access was becoming, more, it became, was becoming more of a problem during, this, you know, during the time running up to this. And so it really was I was posing the question. Mm. Is this an old idea that's time to bring forward? Yeah. And we had a lot of discussions um, that ended up around it. Um, and then they had me back again. And uh, <laughs> so every year for a, a few years, we talked about that because Pheasant Fest moves around. And we ran a, um, a little program at the farm we were calling Earn Your Hunt. And um, kind of a catchy title, but somehow it seemed more like that was... Uh, I, 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 there's just something about it didn't ring true, right? Mm -hmm. That it was much more, this is more, much more about sharing and it's mm -hmm. much more about sort of the three C's, conservation, uh, cooperation and community. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. a group of us got together and started talking about, it. I just happened to be the guy with the big mouth. Let's be, be clear <laughs> about that. Um, and we, we started talking about it. And of course I have the farm where we could do these things. And so we ended up, developing the whole sharing the land idea and you know like i said uh borrowed it stole it whatever from leopold and brought it forward yeah well i'm glad you did i think it's making a difference already and um i you know we should give a history here how hoxie and sharing the land all came together but i remember when i was first hearing about this when it must have been on on a mediator podcast you mentioned it or something and I remember hearing that, and as someone who's had some of the, well, let's go to the standpoint to uh, the farmer, uh, uh, what was his first name, uh, Paulson? Yeah, Reuben Paulson. Reuben Paulson. I'd had some of those negative interactions with, with people who've, you know, sought access before where, or didn't seek access, <laughs> and, and uh, it makes you feel hyper-protective, you know, and when I heard you talking about sharing the land, it's kind of like one of those, you know, it's like when you're sitting in church and the preacher says something that's just like, Ooh, you know, <laughs> that hurt. And, uh, uh, it's like, man, I don't know if I could do that, you know? And, uh, but as I learned what it was, it's like, I need to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, it's, we, we talked about this earlier when we were filming, I think, it it felt like the the walk in access programs when I first you know when I didn't understand what it was like oh you say I'm sharing my land and uh, now whoever wants to show up they can walk in and and we've all seen how you know there, there's been strengths to it I think it's stronger out west where those areas are bigger and there's more right. room you know block management versus here in Iowa we have IHAP programs. And uh, I think in the <clears throat> the podcast that Nicholas and I recorded with you back in April, you kind of talked about what some of the issues can be with those walk-in access programs. And 
you know, especially for neighboring properties, when one neighbor enrolls their farm and how does that affect the surrounding landowner? This is much safer, much more, I don't like using the word, but it's a good word, uh, controlled. You know, you're, mm. you have, the landowner still has, has the freedom to say, yes, you know, you know, let's, let's work out a, a cooperating deal here for you to have access here, but it's going to make sense for what my goals are as the landowner too, whether that's hosting family for a, a spring turkey hunt or or maybe you do have a you know a, a winter uh gun season tradition or something you want to block those dates off on the calendar well you can do that through this mm. let me say this about the walk-in programs and 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 the the, the private land public access programs um in comparison to um sharing land those are all good programs yeah Definitely. And they, they all have their place. We weren't trying to replace any of that. We were trying to give another alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that engaged landowners, landowners who are engaged in their land, who, you know, Carol's a great example of it. Um, you really, it, 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 there's, a, there's an element of control, but yeah. I think the, better, the bigger element is that you want to know that person. Yeah. So this is a part of this is building a relationship mm-hmm. and it's building a relationship between the access seeker and the landowner, mm-hmm. but it's also building a relationship between that access seeker and the land. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Yeah. The, and that's the part that gets overlooked all the time is, is we can just hold it at the people level. Oh, I want this. You want this. Where can we meet in the middle? But what is the land to get out of it? You know, yeah. how does that, how does that get made better? through this and that's and that's the i mean if you had to look at the pillars of what support um the sharing the land ideal and even the riley game cooperative ideal that's one of those pillars is what does the land get out Mm -hmm. of it as well and um i don't know let's let's hear from some of our access seekers here i mean mike did you feel like uh the land was getting something out of you when uh a lot of sweat that first day definitely yep yep but you know that's how that's how you get connected to a piece of land too is by putting in some work and and uh you know I grew up a lot like Doug said we worked as a community I mean everybody had their own property but we all worked together to do mm-hmm. different projects and and uh this really f- fills that void mm. for me um yeah. because I miss that number 1 and uh yeah, I may not live right here, but I also know that I can come and chat you guys up any day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it wouldn't be a big deal, you know, yeah. and look forward to coming back and putting some more sweat on your property and yeah. giving, you know, helping to give back to you guys. So Yeah, and in your in your professional work, I mean, you, you work in the conservation space, right? Yes, technically so. Yep. 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 And, uh, you know, so that's always a big part of my life anyway. Um, and then what you guys are doing here, you know, really fills where I'm planting the seed at work, Mm -hmm. you know, and get to see the other side of this, where the seeds coming from and give to all those other people that are buying your seed 
and that's it's a pretty amazing circle yeah that that's something that feels so humbling about doing this job is um so i have a brother who's a black topper and uh we'll be driving down the road yep. I striped that. I think they yeah, call yeah. it a paver. Don't yeah. They? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Black topper. I'm not quite sure what that means. <laughs> it works for a paving company. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yep. And uh, he does a lot of line striping and everything. And he'll no. be like, "Yeah, yeah, I seal coated that. I striped that parking lot over there. You know, like, oh, you know that Costco over there? Yeah, I did that. You know, but same with but, roofers yeah. all the time. Oh, I did that roof over there. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, I mean, I mean, all all the way across Iowa. If I'm riding with them on a hunting trip or something, but um, now I can say that with our, you know, our seed that's out there. I know there's specific places where mm-hmm. yeah. there's Indian grass. Carol has been raising for almost 40 years and when i drive by there yep that's that's from our farm you know that's that's a big big deal i i think when you and and when you know when we're hand harvesting something or when we're when we're uh, cleaning seed or, or whatever that this is going out somewhere and a little bit of me is is uh getting to be a part of such a bigger and more important thing that'll last far longer than i will that's a that's a special. I'm glad you brought that up, Mike. Yeah, that I, I need to add that to the C's of uh, cooperation, conservation, and community, but connection too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That, I think that really is important. You know, when we did that hand harvesting of the of the indigo, um, I remember thinking, then I wonder where the seed's going to end up. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, you were talking about Dylan earlier, and I'm also one of those people. Yeah. Big Dylan fan, but I'm also a big Grateful Dead fan, and they have, did a song called Ripple, and Ripple in mm. still water, and that whole idea of, you know, that that pebble, that seed, and yeah. where does that ripple effect go from there? Yep. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is, and, and I'm glad you brought that up, Mike. It's, it's a good Mike, point. you were talking about the sweat equity, and it reminded me, so my last year of schooling, I did um, I did my internship with the alumni department, and did like marketing and stuff like that. And we did this giant survey of like, I think it was just shy of 10,000 students. It's huge or alumni, huge survey. And, uh, we, and, and actually they had done it right before I got there, but they came to the conclusion that, um, the people who thought they were thriving after school, the number one correlation was whether they were volunteer serving in an area because you were connected to the people you were connected to whatever you were involved in, whether it was a community or a church or a group of people, or, you know what I mean? Or, or just volunteering to help homeless people. And, and that was the, it wasn't like, Oh, they found friends right away or they had a good job or they didn't have financial problems. That was the number one correlation was were they putting sweat equity into uh, the area. And I, I think, you know, it, it hits something deep in, in how we are, you know, made how, how, like how we intuitively are is, is to, um, work in something that we can enjoy and not necessarily just be looking at the paycheck, you know, doing something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, not so transactional. It's, it's, uh, what, what have I given of myself that I really, I mean, let's be honest. Let's say every one of you guys shot, a three bird limit today and uh 
we went in for went in for pizza at lunch, and I mean the way Doug started things out there, I thought we were going to have a you know. <laughs> oh, you know, I do what I can. <laughs> Thirty minutes, and we we're going to be done. But uh, but uh, I mean, in reality, three pheasants doesn't really pay back what what you know we gain from your guys's help and your dedication and and uh the other thing about it too that i think sharing the land screens for is skilled labor <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. you don't have to show the guys how to use a shovel you don't have yeah. you know you don't you're have not to... asking the high schooler if they've got a girlfriend or a truck yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they're they're you know they're they're in there and they know what they're doing and that's part of the whole application process is you guys you know we felt very comfortable having you guys here because of the things you put on your on your application, your experiences and everything else. And so that was a huge part of it too. But, but, but yeah, I mean, it goes back to what Nicholas is talking about with, you know, being a part of a community, something you're giving sweat equity to that you can't fully ever repay. And, and it's because you're bought in already, you know, And, and separate from just being a good idea, the magic behind sharing the land is that it hits the deepest parts of people. We connect with land. We connect with each other. We are able to. Um, we are able to work. You know, our, our hands are good at working. We're able to do that, um, and then we are able to uh, reap a reward. And it's not just like money sitting in a bank account. And it it like hits every part of a person that needs to be hit. And I, I just think it's magic. I remember we were driving home because I didn't fully understand what sharing the land was till we interviewed you. And Kent and I were talking about on the way home. I was like, that is such a good idea. I did not understand how good of an idea it was. And it was like something that you had thought up was just hitting me and, and exploding my brain on, on the drive home. And, and, uh, yeah, it's just really cool. Yeah. I can attest to that. He was going on and on about it. And then we were, then we were, then we were running late for another pocket. We got home so late that oh, night. Yeah. I was talking yeah. to my just drive, man. Yeah, you guys but, did that. Yeah, was, <laughs> that was a fun, fun. I have to though. say that, that, um, when you, so I want to talk about how I actually heard about Hoxie and, and yeah, yeah. We didn't get, get around to this. Trail, how yeah. I heard about Hoxie and and met Kent. So it was at um, Pheasant Fest last year. I think you were at Pheasant Fest the year before that. No, um, no, no that it was that the first my, one. I sent I sent you an email back in I don't know shortly after I started at Hoxie, and we were we were kind of like yeah maybe you know it'd be. be Oh and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, because then you came up to me and said, "Oh, I'm the guy who yeah. sent you the email." I'm like, "Great!" So um, that's great because I never get emails from anybody <laughs> yeah. else from total strangers. Yeah, <laughs> from total strangers wanting something from me, <laughs> um, it's, which is really cool. I mean, it, it's really gratifying actually to get that. I answered a bunch of stuff today, and I and I to this day answer every message, every email I get because a, a skinny little guy who was living in New York City, whose books I admired. Hmm. Uh, wrote me back when I wrote him, and yep. it, it certainly had a, been very impactful for me. Hmm. Um, but so at Pheasant Fest last year, he came up to me and I said, "Great, well, you know, I'm going to be speaking over here, and we've got a booth over here, and maybe we can talk later." And then um, the first day goes by, and I don't know if we got a chance to talk again. But then the second day goes by, and I've given my talk twice now. And he comes over to the booth, and and we start talking a little bit. He goes, you know, it's just really your words. This is really great to hear about this program and and everything. I've listened to your talk twice now. I was like, well, well. <laughs> pressing the heck out of this guy, aren't I? And he goes, I'm going to listen to it again tomorrow. And I said, well, really? That's, I mean, really? You're getting that much out of it? He goes, no, my booth is right over there. I don't, I don't have, any, have any choice but to listen to you. <laughs> but we had a really good time. Yeah, we had a nice yeah, chat. Did, yeah. And, um, and uh, yeah, and 
so then the third time that I actually gave the talk, I kept looking over at him and, you know, was trying to decide whether he was still interested or whatever. <laughs> but um, because of some of the work that I have going on on the, on the farm and, uh, uh, and with my land management clients, um, certainly native seeds are something that uh, I'm in, in need of. And uh, so, and that's one of the things we do at Pheasant Fest, right? Is we yep. gather information from different people yep. and um, you presented the company and what you guys are doing well. And you told me about Carol and how this whole thing started and how, um, how he developed um, the, how he just said the heck with corn and beans and started yeah. doing something else. And um, so then when you said you wanted to do the podcast and, and um, I said, yeah, let's do it. And I said, but I prefer to do them in person, which what I was really getting as we can do it, we can do it via zoom or something. He goes, we'll drive over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is the longest work day I've ever had. I think it started at like three thirty AM and ended at 2 AM or something yeah, like it was, that. It was a long day. And I was tired when you guys left and I thought, and they got to drive back. <laughs> and I think well, I offered you, you could stay at the farmhouse, but uh, anyway, oh, yeah. Uh, on the way back, uh, I was driving and I was pretty awake and Kent wakes up out of his sleep and says, be careful. These curves are really tight. And then went back to bed on this, on the road, on a road where almost to his house, I drive this road every single day. He literally like gets up out of a deep sleep. Be careful. These roads are really tight. <laughs> just I, I just, I have, I have trust issues when I'm in the passenger <laughs> seat, but I can't stay awake well enough to be trusted in the, in the driver's seat. So, yeah, but no, that was, yeah, that was a fun day. And, and, um, uh, I mean, honestly, when I, whenever I, my retirement plan is the same one that Carol's is. I think I'll just one day I won't be at work and you guys will be like, where is he? Yeah. I'll be too old to do it anymore. I think, but, but, um, uh, you know, when I look back, that'll be one of the best days of work that, that I've ever had, you know, and, and this, this, uh, <clears throat> this is my second career. I was a biology teacher for eight years and, and there were definitely uh, good days and bad days with that. And I think that was something else we kind of bonded over, Doug, because you're a former teacher as well. And, and uh, um, you know. Well, I think we're both still teachers, Ken. That's right. That's right. Yep. A different a different uh, classroom. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. Now Kent doesn't have to deal with like students not paying attention. He but he certainly see. needs to deal with you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I give him a time. I'll tell you oh, what. That's right. That's he doesn't right. get off easier. Sometimes he just shakes his head and I think he's thinking like, I should have just stayed right. in the I was classroom. thinking about telling the story of the podcast. I'm oh, definitely no. Telling it. So, so, uh, uh, some of the guys this will really appreciate this. I, during, I, I love deer hunting and, uh, that's another thing Doug and I have in common. Um, I, when it gets to you know October, especially late October and and into November, it's just fun to drive the back roads to and from work. Oh yeah, you can just look out in those fields, just see what's going on. And uh, I was driving home <clears throat> one night, and it's just at dusk. It's November tenth, and I look over and just one of the biggest bucks I've ever seen in my life. And uh, you know I'm just blown away by this thing. And so then I'm. Uh, uh, you know, I don't see it again. You know, I, I put a little, I mark a little spot on my map, you know, where this was. And, and, uh, I see it again, like two weeks later, I'm like, all right, I gotta go ask these people if I could, you know, just access this property to try and hunt this deer. And, uh, the good news was somebody was already after that deer. So I was like, great. You know, this is the son of the landowners. And then she, oh, the, the, no. the, the, the person goes, Oh, tell, uh, 
she knew I worked at Hoxie and everything. She goes, tell Nathaniel, which is Nicholas's brother, that I say hello. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. You know, that's great. And I was like, what, what about Nicholas? Did you, she was a, the old Nathaniel's bus driver. Bus driver. I was like, did you have Nicholas on the bus? Oh, yeah, I had Nicholas on the bus, too. <laughs> and that was all that was it. <laughs> I don't understand. She loved me. <laughs> she just said, tell, tell Nathaniel I say Yeah, hi. made a yeah, but, point. But, oh. uh, yeah, so that was the kind of student I think Nicholas was. Regard, but, but oh, uh, <clears throat> no, so, so uh, after hanging out with Doug, Doug was like, hey, you guys, um, you know, farm – a farm like yours probably has some acres, doesn't it? It's probably got some pretty good bird habitat. And we don't have Iowa for our uh, sharing the land lineup yet. And Nicholas and I were like, man, I think, because Carol's always been very generous with letting people come on and hunt and everything. But it always, it always has probably, I just assume it has felt this way to Carol. He's got this thing that he's built for 40 years. You know, it's like having a having a, a Ferrari in your garage, and someone comes up and says, "What if I take that for a spin?" You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like it's like you know these people just walk in. You know, some some were definitely invested. They'd helped clean seed in the past. They've they've worked on some of the uh, other stuff that that Carol has going on business wise. Uh, but other people just out of the blue, Hey, that looks like a really good place to shoot pheasants. Can I come over? And, and Carol usually tells him, tells him yes. But this allowed Carol to, in a way be maybe rewarded for his efforts in creating this incredible place to hunt pheasants by getting him some, some work that, uh, helps, you know, keep the place so awesome for for pheasant habitat and so nicholas and i we were right away talking after doug had that conversation with us that yeah this is something that i think we need to pitch to carol and see if he'd be interested in and carol right away was was on the board and that's that's one of the ways carol's uh you know has just been such a a great boss an easy person to work with because uh, he trusts us, and Nick and I were bought into Doug's vision, and and he's like, yeah, I, I think that's something that we could do. And so we got on the call, or got on a call with Doug, and we're like, Doug, we're in. And of course, you know, we're one of the the sponsors for sharing the land also as well. Came on as sponsor, which I couldn't be more grateful for. Um, and uh, so to have a to have a landowner who's you know has a business that's based in conservation who came on as a sponsor and then wants to to also have, you know, be a part of the program. Um, when I got your um, cooperating land profiles, and which is one of the things that we do on our website, the yep. landowner fills out a cooperating land profile, which uh, explains what their property is and what they may have available and the kind of work that they're looking for. And then on the opposite side, we've got these folks who... Uh, access seekers who fill out a conservation resume and on that conservation resume it's just like a regular resume right you who you are what you're about and the skills that you have but then also what you're interested in in learning about and so um we put those two things together and i think we sent you i think i i think we sent you everybody we had in yeah. iowa yep. um, every yep. you know access seeker every conservation resume we had for iowa and i and i know you reached out to pretty much all of them mm -hmm. and it just didn't work for some of them yep and uh but you ended up with a really good group and uh boy if i could point to the model and say well here's another whoops here's another place where it worked um hoxie seed would be one of them so when onyx was interested in bringing the land limited guys in and telling one of the stories this was just one of the obvious ones to tell mm. yeah 
Yeah. And, and we're so grateful for it. I mean, it's been, it's been great for everyone involved, you know, and, and, uh, you know, as I look at our, we'll call them our core four right now, you know, the, you got, Bart can't be here today, unfortunately, he was sick, but, but, um, you know, it's something that you're always going to be near and dear to the heart of Hoxie because you were the first ones willing to come in and, and give it a shot with us, you know, learn it with us. And, um, you know, I hope that's something that you guys can come back for, for years to come. Robbie, um, you haven't done a whole lot of pheasant hunting, right? You've done a lot of deer hunting and, and, uh, uh, you know, when you were out there in that, I I always kind of felt like, you know, Robbie's probably more interested in the deer hunting. (laughs) So he's really just here because he's a really good guy. Uh, just kind of talk us through some of your thought process, you know, from the work day through hunting today, as you know, being a pheasant hunter today, you know, what, just, just kind of give us a rundown on all that. Well, the work day was, uh, you know, I, I don't know a lot about conservation on this. And I, I, I think we figured out yep. last time that we started hunting about the same time. Yep. Robbie and, lean in for me a tad bit more. Okay. Thanks, sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> um, <clears throat> So, you know, the work day for me, the, the real big appeal for me was I like working with my hands mm-hmm. and I like learning things and, you know, kind of filled both roles there. Um, a couple of bonuses that I didn't expect were, Hey, I'm going to meet all these guys that are kind of like-minded and, yeah. you know, we have a lot of similarities and man, we have a good time. And, you know, I, I, I went into it really blind. I had no idea what we were going to be doing. I had no idea what grasses we were going to be pulling when yep. you told me that. And I'm going, all right, well, let's. So where's the Kentucky blue field? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think my girlfriend even said something about, okay, Hoxie seeds, what do they do there? And I said, I, I've looked at the website. I know they sell native seeds, but outside of that, you know, I don't know, yeah. I don't know what we're going to be doing. And, yep. um, but it was great. You know, the work day was, uh, it was hot and it was long and it was hard work, but it was a very fulfilling day of getting my hands dirty and, uh, you know, making relationships that, you know, like, like you were saying earlier, Kent, they're going to last a lot longer than that work yeah. day and this hunt day. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, yeah, did you get, am I the only one that sensed that today, that open-endedness to this? Um, we talked about it earlier when we were filming with uh, uh, the guys earlier, uh, but oftentimes when I'm doing like a really fun hunting trip, I dread the conclusion, you mm-hmm. know, and you feel, you feel the, the rising action, you feel the, you know, the high point of the hunt, and then you feel that falling action and, you know, you know, it's not going to be long before everyone's, you know, throwing their coat in the car and saying, well, see you, you know, maybe next year, <laughs> yeah, yeah. maybe next year or something. But this just felt like this is the beginning. You know, this is something that, that, um, you know, hopefully we can further develop down the road. I mean, anybody else want to weigh in on that? I completely feel the same, you know, just the future is open to us and, and, uh, you know, making more, memories in the future and uh putting more work on the ground hopefully helping you guys out more Mm -hmm. um you know even if we wouldn't have seen one pheasant today i would have still gone home with a great sense of fulfillment um you know just from meeting everybody on that work day 
yeah. and being a part of that. That was truly amazing. Yep. Yep. I feel like I got a, my support network has ex- expanded, you know, through that. And there's always blue stem to dig out of Indian. <laughs> there it is. I mean, that's one of the things from a landowner's perspective, being one myself, um, the, the work never ends. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, you're, you're, it's, it's a constant journey. Uh, and that's really what conservation and land management and everything is. It's a constant journey, you know, and, and you adapt and you change and you do all that and you need help with that. Um, in my land management business, especially with new landowners, one of the things that I find, what they find out really quickly is, man, owning a piece of land is a lot of work. Yeah. You know, yeah. we thought we were going to come out here and hang out on the weekends, <laughs> yeah. you know, because they've, they, they saw the, the ad, right? The people yep. are drinking their coffee on the, on the porch of the cabin and, and it's a lot of work. And if you engage in that work and if you're that person who understands that, you can also see the value of uh, including other people with that. Mm -hmm. And if you're someone who's looking for that opportunity, because at the end of the day, right, it's not ours, it's just our turn. You know, I'd worked that in there somewhere. Um, But, and, and, and I think about that on our land all the time that I'm going to be gone and then mm-hmm. what's next? And so it's not, I'm not building a commodity that I'm going to sell. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's <clears throat> revenue that we're making just like Hoxie Seed is and, and that, that that property is maintaining itself. But there are things that have to be done that, that aren't, that, you know, they're just important to the land. And that contribution to conservation can be done by anybody. And as long as there's an openness in in in, in that exchange and the building of those relationships and, and all of that, it just, it, to me, it, it remains open-ended because yeah. that's the nature of what, what, what we are here on this earth. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah. Very well said. That was very deeply philosophical. No, it, was, but it, was, it was good. It, I mean, it fits, it fits in perfectly with it's not ours. It's just our turn. Jace, uh, you're a whitetail guy, but you clearly have a passion for, birds and even more so rabbits um <laughs> yeah i think i think if we didn't we didn't call jace off the rabbits he'd still be out there i, I would still be there yeah <laughs> little, elmer, little elmer inside of you there is yeah absolutely um i think i tap i think he has a new nickname <laughs> um I, I definitely got to tap into some of my um i mean those were my early earliest hunting experiences sure uh, and, and i would use air quotes if i could here um because there was no hunting being done. I was just following my grandpa around our 40 acres and <laughs> I was kicking brush piles and he would, you know, pretend to get ready for a shot. I mean, we were going all times of the year, so we weren't really hunting, but in my mind we were, I would wait for him every day to get home from work and that's what we'd go do. Mm. Uh, and that was a really good way that we spent time in those years. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I like to chase it all. Um, but I, I had a really good time with this, this program. It was, um, I felt like really powerful and I think, you know, I've been trying to think about what I was going to say about, um, the program that would be, you know, that hasn't already been said. And I, I think that what I really came away with is that, you know, I'm a primarily a public land hunter. Um, we own a little bit of land in Wisconsin, but I still usually tend to hunt public. There's been a few occasions I've hunted, um, other private land just due to permission seeking Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But, um, what I really liked about this program is it, it never felt transactional, even though that there was Mm. built in this give and take system of you earn the right to hunt through, uh, labor and and help. 
Um, but it never felt, it never felt like that. Even, you know, when we're sweating through all our clothes, um, you know, putting in a full day of work, that was really a fun time. And if, if the experience ended there, I would have um, been very happy to do it. Mm. I mean, I've, I've lived in Iowa a couple years. So my connections to any certain property, I mean, I, I, there's public pieces that I like to hunt um, and, and whatnot, but I think the Hoxie farm is going to remain uh, a, a kind of a special place just because of those uh, just couple of days that I've had out there, you know, yeah. and I, I'm yeah. certainly hoping that continues for, um, you know, being able to give you guys a hand when you need it. I, I mean, I just felt like I got so much out of that work day in terms of learning what it is, um, you know, what it takes. I mean, not that I com- completely understand that by any means, but uh, just learning more about what it, you know, what it takes to have that kind of farm. Um, I never spent a second of my life considering what, you know, where the seeds from CRP came from, um, what a production mm-hmm. field took to maintain. Uh, when we started digging up big blue stem, I was thinking like, what are we doing? Like, I thought, this were, I thought these were good <laughs> grasses. good, right? You know, that, I really, I, I, I just held my tongue, like maybe I'll find out later. But um, <laughs> it makes sense, of course, when you think about uh, the, the production aspect. But yeah, it never felt, I, I think that w- when, when things become transactional, I feel like that sense of kind of ickiness, you know, like yeah. I, everybody's different, but I never want to spend a dollar getting access to, to properties. Um, but this really felt, uh, it, it didn't feel like that at all. Uh, and I, Mm. I, I really liked that aspect. Um, and it, it just, it felt like the way things should be, uh, should be done. And, and I'm, I'm sure that it was the way things were, um, probably long before my time. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely some, uh, good and interesting points you make there. And, and, um, I like how you it's kind of a common theme here it hasn't really been called out I don't think but but um the learning experience of when you're doing that kind of work you know there's there's all kinds of different learning right there's learning that you know let's say you're working the line at at a factory you got to learn you know what's the process well that doesn't quite for most people you know get them fired up but when it comes when you get outside and you're Maybe you're operating a shovel or you're operating a, uh, you know, a tractor. Um, there's, there's this in this intrinsic, uh, joy or excitement that comes from learning with tools like that. And then I think, you know, let's be honest, there's a filtering that happens here too, right? We're all already interested in the outdoors and we're interested in natural things, so we end up here, right? We end up at this table together because of that. But when you take something away that you can bring back to those other corners of the outdoor world that we all partake in and we all participate in and try to learn more about, and you get to bring it back, you know. Um, when I started working here, uh, I already cared a lot about prairie, but I got to imagine for a couple of Wisconsin guys here, you have prairies in Wisconsin for sure. We used to have more. Yeah, yeah. But uh, big timber up there. What, what yeah. was that? I mean, it's just a totally different landscape here than what you guys are used to. Did, was that something that stood out to you guys today? Well, I mean, I've been, you know, hunting pheasants for a couple years now. But um, one, one thing I will say is that uh, if anybody in this room doesn't know, 
being able to shoot at an upland bird without trees impeding the shot is an absolute luxury. <laughs> and, uh, and you still can't hit it. <laughs> right, yeah. it, it. It's more humbling, yeah. at least when you're, you miss a grouse or a woodcock. Uh, right. there, well, there were trees in the way. Yeah, exactly. Oh, there's exactly. that oak again. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oak Every sky. year. <laughs> and all there is is sky and that bird flying away. Yeah. Yeah, we had we had one layup that uh, the three of us, you know, I think I I missed the layup, Doug missed the rebound, rebound. and Jace I, missed the putback. I put just back. threw a pot shot up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jace got called for a foul. <laughs> <laughs> that was no, it was, it was. Uh, I I just had that thought, you know, it's like this is such a different landscape. I wonder how it's striking you guys. Isn't that uh, that that's an interesting point because I've been before I came here I was out in South Dakota for a, mm. a few days hunting and I hadn't hunted pheasants in 25 years. Oh wow! wow. You and couldn't tell the first five minutes into our hunt today, man. Well, <laughs> I, I, they warmed me up out there in South Dakota, I, and I will tell you what: um, the first five minutes in South Dakota it was just like putting shells, you know, taking the empties out and putting new shells in the gun, and birds were not falling. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, there was certainly a, um, well, and the bird was flying straight away from me. I mean, it wasn't, it, yep. it wasn't like I was having to swing on it or anything. I'm, you know, it was a layup. That was a layup. It was maybe a, a long layup, but it was a layup nonetheless. <laughs> um, but, um, so I was out there and, and, you know, the landscape is similar. Um, the same thing, big sky, bird flies, you don't hit it. Um, and then I go home. And for the last, you know, all of last week was the the deer season in Wisconsin and, and um, hosted my annual group of uh, family and friends. And then we did an event with uh, Can-Am and Meat Eater and um, bringing some other people in. And I've got goals as far as, you know, deer numbers and that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, and, and, you know, trying to see deer through the woods and I will say I, I put a blind out in the middle of a big CRP field. So I was feeling a little, a little bit, yeah, yeah. um, but, um, then to come back out here and, uh, as Carol and I were sitting in the truck and talking and he said, Oh, a big old buck, you know, hanging out over there. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I could see that's where a big old buck would be. And by us, you know, 85% of the ground is that kind yeah. of ground. Yep. And uh, very, very different. But, boy, the appreciation that you gain for the, the variety of the landscapes here mm-hmm. in the Midwest is, is a, it's just a really fulfilling and wonderful experience to have. Yeah, I think that's when you start to see Earth as a planet again. You know what I mean? Instead of just as, oh, this is a place, this is Iowa. And I think it's important to to see Earth as a planet. You know that sounds kind of stupid or cheesy to say, I think, but but um, it's a place that everything has its purpose there within that ecosystem. And when you look at Iowa, place Nick has talked about this, you know, for for ever since this podcast has been running, the terraforming that's gone on in Iowa, we have everything but the prairie, <laughs> you know. And we need it. It needs, it's a part of what this, when you look at our globe, what's supposed to be here? Well, it's supposed to be a vast grassland. And, and um, yeah, I think when you look at that diversity, you look on up to our neighbor to the north in Wisconsin, Minnesota, 
uh, that's supposed to be big timber, you know, kind of transitioning from from Savannah into timber. And, and mm. uh, you know, I think it's it gives you a, a better appreciation for what it is and who we are and where we are. Can I, I would say it's what it wants to be because yeah. that's what it was. Mm. And uh, one of my favorite parts of today, because I had taken that ride in the golf cart when you guys were continuing to – swelter there in the sun and work and carol comes up and he goes you know on his golf cart and he goes you know you ought to take a ride with me and i was like yes i should <laughs> that's a good <laughs> idea <laughs> and so off we went but um to hear him tell the stories of the place and and mm-hmm. took me down by that remnant mm-hmm. uh and when you st- that day you could see that it was this is what this area wants to be mm-hmm. uh it's what it was and then go back down there today as we walk there and where did we see the most birds yep that's right it's just really showed you that that's what every part of this area yep. wants to be yep. um certainly understand why we have corn and beans and um diversity of other crops um, <laughs> maybe but um but um you know that's all a part of it too but yeah it's really it is an interesting thing to think about what was what it would be if we left it alone mm-hmm. and uh and you know and and how we've we uh mankind has manipulated the landscape in some of it to our uh to to for our needs and it's important what we've done but at the same time um we certainly can't forget what it was and what it um what it wants to be Mm. yeah that's beautiful i think that kind of goes back to the the concept of connection we were talking about and, and probably a reason why all of us are hunters i would have to imagine in part is that connection to the landscape and uh the food web and all of that it's like there's you know, even being in the natural resources profession, I wouldn't know anything about prairies if I didn't upland hunt, just because yeah. that, you know, that doesn't intersect with what I do. Um, and it would be really easy to just drive by uh, gorgeous native grass prairies and think, okay, that's a grass field. Yeah. But when you, you know, get in it and hunt it and, and sometimes realize, oh, maybe this is why pheasants like it, you know, there's... Mm-hmm. Uh, good cover thermal cover but they can run around the bunch grass you know whatever it is uh i think that 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 that's a really unique thing about hunting that um you can't really say about a lot of other pastimes or or uh pursuits mm. you yeah. know um and, and i think that this program itself is, also, is a way to really make that connection on a specific piece of property too and, and it just kind of all works together yeah very well said I'm trying to think of like another pastime that appreciates habitat and thinks about habitat. And I'm like, I guess if you're like a botanist, you know, uh, uh, part-time, I I don't, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, habitat, it's just not something that people think about until you're in the hunting world or uh, conservation world. And, um, and so because we're not thinking of it, it's not we're not on the understanding of how big of a deal it really is. So if you think about how much we think about things versus how much they matter, like, uh, oh man, forgive me, everybody who's listening to this, how much the United States thinks about the NFL versus how much in the grand scheme of things it actually matters, you know, when we lay down in our grave versus like how much we think about what's outside. You know, some people do think about it, some people, but if you think about like grand collective of, of us as, 
uh, as a species with like very little thinking about something that really matters, you know, something that's so important. So I have to say that uh, earlier I said that thing about borrowing and stealing. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to steal that one, Nick. Yeah, that was good. That was great. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that it. That is good. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. yeah. And he's right. You know, it's uh, Jay said it too. You know, the, the food web side of it, when you're hunting, there's no throwing back. There's no, there's no, you know, oh, that was nice to see. You know, there's some of that. But when you're, when you really get down to what is the, the primary objective here, it's to share matter, right? And energy within this ecosystem and, um, and exchange it, right? And, and uh, I don't think you guys probably remember this phrase that went around, oh, five, six years ago hunters are conservationists. Uh, I would say not all hunters are conservationists, but I'd say conservationists that are hunters make for some of the best conservationists out there because I think they understand um, all that Nick just said there, you know, and, and they understand that they're, they're intertwined with this, you know, we're, we're walking the dirt of which we are made and, and uh, you just can't get more connected than that. And so, you know, I think uh, we're all kind of waxing poetic here at the end, which is good. So I think if we could go around the table and maybe get one final word from from everybody, and so let's let's do a couple a couple targets here that you can aim for. Choose one because uh, we can't go forever. Nick's got to drop off seed for a customer here. Shortly. Yeah, but maybe we'll have <laughs> Nick go season, first, guys. Busy but uh, just maybe your favorite thing or most impactful thing that. Uh, you got either from the whole sharing the land thing or just maybe even today, um, something that's fresh in your mind. So we're going to put you on the spot first, Nicholas. Oh, I got to go first. Good, good. Um, I think working in conservation, it can feel kind of doom and gloom because a lot, most of our clients, a lot of our clients don't actually care that much about conservation. They're doing, they're putting stuff in the ground because they, need to for a government program. Now, many of them do, but you know, after a while you're kind of like, does anybody care? <laughs> like what we're doing, what I spend, you know, my, my hours every week doing, you know, um, is it just me and Ken dad out here? And, and just, uh, I mean, meeting Doug for sure. And then meeting the four of you that worked with us. And then the three that came back hunting, um, that was really cool to just see, like, wow, other people care. Other people care and, and, and it spreads into a lot of different areas, you know, willing to work on the land, willing to come back and hunt, enjoying each other, those kinds of things. That, that was probably the biggest takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a great perspective. Mike, what do you think? Well, I would say more than anything, the relationship and, you know, the, I guess I am just truly thankful to you guys and Carol for, you know, allowing us to do this um, and taking a chance on it because, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to, to do. You're letting somebody on a piece of property that you guys are working on day in and day out and have been, you know, for a long, long time. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just grateful for this opportunity to come here and just even look at the landscape. I was taking pictures today, just, yeah. you know, with the snow and the, and the grass, it, you know, that's, that's my happy place. And, uh, I'm just really thankful to have had this opportunity to do it and thankful to Doug for, you know, firing this up. So, yeah. yep. 
Yeah. I guess I'm next in line. We'll have Doug wrap us up. We'll do our last one. But uh, for me, it was the beauty of the prairie. Um, again, we go back to 100 degrees ago. Uh, <laughs> we saw the prairie in two very different ways, and both were beautiful. Um, uh, she was just coming into her prime in August, right? The, that Indian grass, which is Carol's favorite grass, by the way, um, starts to look like just that, that golden brown and uh, starting to, you know, really lay on height by the end of that week, you know, and, and go to seed. And um, today, the seeds were all harvested um, and cleaned already, by the way. That that section that you guys worked on was the cleanest seed I cleaned for the Indian grass this year. And uh, What's that right? We did a lot of Indian grass. Um, and uh, uh, then today... It's freezing cold. My toes were numb when we started. I started thinking, man, I should have wore some insulated boots. <laughs> and and uh, um, the frost um, that was on all of the prairie grass, it, man, you might get three days like that in the winter, you know, uh, where those conditions are just perfect for that, that frosting, frosty coat on all the grasses. And it was just sparkling and um, uh, it was a whole new kind of beauty and uh, nothing that man has done has has made it that way it just is right and uh, it's something that we're so lucky to have and then all these people here enjoying it with me and the oohs and the ahs and looking at all the the frost and the ice seeing those the newcomer, the pheasant, right? The the non-native pheasant, but certainly one that we're happy to have and one that's kind of occupying a void in the ecosystem. Unfortunately, that you know that we had some other ground nesting birds that aren't native that aren't here anymore, but but the pheasant can hack it and we're thankful for that. And um seeing their beautiful colors and the contrast with that that frost on the grass and and uh the beauty of the prairie is what what really struck me and and it, you know going back to what nicholas said you know it's it's hard work and when you're in the conservation space you're always fighting from your back and uh that that can wear on you after a long time you know uh, you think of how many years carol has been doing this and nick's been doing it for longer than i have and and stuff like today when you just strip it all away and just say i want this because it's beautiful and, it, and, and like doug said it wants to be here uh that's that's what struck me Robbie? Boy, I don't have anything nearly as deep and thought-provoking. That's good. <laughs> I, I like to keep things really easy. Uh, at one point, Mike, we were walking a fence line, and I was kind of side-hilling a little bit what kind of hill there is. And I thought, man, I'm, I think I'm more worn out just from walking around today than I was from the work day. <laughs> I was kind of starting to drag a little bit, and I'm looking around going, you know what? This is awesome. Like I'm, mm. I am absolutely beat and I'm freezing cold. Well, at that point I was hot. <laughs> yeah, that's But right. I looked up at Mike and I said, you know, if we never saw a bird today, this was great. Mm. Uh, just, just a day out walking in this, the beauty of the prairie and being yeah. with guys that you can get along with and have build a relationship with. It doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. yeah that's, you said that wasn't going to be deep. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I suppose I'm next. Um, man, I think, you know, first of all, I'm really grateful to have, you know, gotten to see this program. Uh, 
as a participant, I mean, you know, you guys could have seen that resume and said like, well, this guy should have plenty of connections. Let's find somebody, mm. you know, mm. somebody else. And, um, and you didn't. And I really am really glad I saw this because what I'm walking away with is, uh, a sense of excitement that I haven't had about land access. Um, and I spend a lot of, a lot of my time, uh, in my role with the DNR thinking about land access, because I seriously think it's one of the easily one of the biggest issues that the white tailed deer herd is going to face in Iowa, uh, as CWD is a looming threat. And we're starting honestly to, uh, lose a grasp on population management in some areas in the state due to declining hunter numbers. And it's worse in almost every state to the east of us. Uh, so we're only seeing what's yet to come yeah. when we look mm. at, you know, states like Wisconsin and Michigan and Ohio and some of the things that's coming from that region. Uh, and land access is, is absolutely going to be the foundation of our success if mm. we find that. And wow. And I think about, well, what can, what can I do or what can the department I work for do to encourage land access? It's like, uh, that's a really hard, really hard nut to crack. Um, but here it is. I think that this program can be the blueprint for how that proceeds. I don't think it's going to be a state program. Frankly, when we're talking about Iowa and, you know, my, my world is in whitetail deer and there's, there's no amount of money that the state can put up that's going to compete with a whitetail lease that a non-resident's yeah. going to pay, right? <clears throat> so just forget that. Um, it has to come from landowners like Carol, which I hope aren't, aren't the exception, although I think it probably is. Um, but I, I, I do feel confident that there's probably a lot of people out there that, that when they learn about this program are going to want to tap into it and harness. Mm. And I mean, f as a participant, if, if everybody who was in my shoes, had half the fun and fulfillment and, and learning experience and all of that as I did. This is going to be a wildly successful program in, mm. in years to come. And, and it, it may be slow to build, but I, I think that it, it is exactly what we need um, at, at this time in uh, wildlife management. Yeah, yeah, very well said. You know, it's interesting you bring up the, the idea of fun. Um, if this wasn't fun, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I just, you know, I have enough... I have enough work in my life. Yeah. Um, but um, what's that old saying about if you enjoy what you do, um, you'll never uh, work a day in your life. Mm -hmm. um, the fun part of this is, is really um, is important to, to remember because yeah. I, I, we had a blast day. We've been laughing a lot oh, today. Yeah. I think we'll all have you know sore cheeks from laughing today. Yeah. That in the wind maybe. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but that's, that's uh, a, a big part of it. But for me, the biggest part of this whole thing has been um, tapping into um, a, another part of the country, another part of, um, of, of a different ecosystem, but then more importantly, um, getting to know Carol and hearing his story and learning his story. I don't know how many people I've told about Hoxie Seed and, and, mm. and what Carol's done here. Different parts of it, different yeah. parts, like the parts department at the farm, right? <laughs> um, which is now the rabbit, uh, right. rabbit patch for Jace. Um, but then uh, today I, I learned about the railroad that used to go through here. Yep. Um, yeah. And that was a great story to hear. We were, we, ha we were having so much fun 
Carol and I were sitting in the truck just commenting on you guys as you were, <laughs> you were walking around. And uh, we didn't really get into any of the deep philosophical stuff then um, until we got back. And then suddenly we're sitting in the driveway, and I don't know what prompted the beginning of that conversation, but then we started talking about how uh, about things like legacy. You know, we're a couple of older guys, and we both have our, our challenges. And, and, you know, when you get to be in your 60s and the things that are happening – to your body, um, <laughs> and uh, you know some of them are are major, and some of them are you know more minor. But you see the you know the end of the road, and then the I was just uh, I didn't think about this for a long the longest time. Like this is what I'm doing, mm-hmm. but there really is a a, a legacy, and. Um, mm. There certainly is a huge legacy with what Carol has done in Hoxie Seed, but also that leadership that he's providing. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's an, do you want to talk about an example to follow mm-hmm. um, what Carol has done and what you guys are continuing um, is so important. And I, I, as, I've, as I'm older, that's m- more and more important to me all the time. Mm. Um, and one of the cool things that I get out of all of this, right? I, I came up with this philosophy. This is, uh, it's not ours. It's just our turn philosophy. And it's the thing that I hold everything up that I, that I think about up to. And sometimes, it, you know, I ignore it. But most of the time, it's like, okay, this fits. Mm. Um, the cool thing to me about it is to see that essentially reverberating with you, with you guys and, 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 mm. um, I think if we can get people to think about, you know, develop their own conservation philosophy like Carol had, um, and we didn't really think about it like that, right? I didn't think about this as this conservation philosophy, but if we can, that's the, if we can get people to think philosophically about what we're doing here on this um, earth, it makes it a lot easier to uh, make decisions when you're basing it on 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 an ethic. Mm-hmm. A land ethic, yep. to close with Leopold. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautifully said. Nothing to add, other than uh, thank you so much to everyone, and and thank you to Doug and to the land guys for uh, coming and and uh, filming for us and and following us around today. They did all that work without getting to shoot any birds, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, you know, just so grateful. And thanks to Carol for you know, seeing the vision and, and, uh, Nicholas for all, all the hard work and coordinating and everything else. And so, um, just uh, so grateful. And I think that's what, that's what the hope is that we all can feel that way as we leave. Um, you, you've heard the name a million times, but it's important. We say this every podcast the podcast is presented by Hoxie native seeds. You're listening to this. Maybe you're inspired to join sharing the land. Um, you can go to sharing the com. Yes. Yep.com. And, uh, uh, Fill out a, uh, you know, cooperating landowner uh, survey application and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll help guide you through the, the process. Uh, you got questions, um, sharing land will be happy to help. And you can call us at Hoxie. We'll be happy to share with you our experience uh, beyond even what this podcast says or, or whatever. And we've been very happy. So, uh, but also uh, if you uh, are in need of any kind of uh, backyard prairie, uh, CRP seed, 
Uh, maybe you just want to put down some some better cover on your ground, and there's no strings attached in any way, shape, or form. We're happy to to help you with that as well. Uh, maybe you want better hunting habitat. Whatever it is, go to hoxynativeseeds.com. Uh, when you call, you'll probably get to talk to Nicholas. That's um, me. Unless it's uh, unless he's already gone for the day, then I'll I will sprint across the shop and I'll get there right before. Uh, I'm begging you, you guys before you hang up the sprint. phone. Yeah, <laughs> it happens every like like once every two weeks. I run from the back of the shop into the front of the shop to get to the phone, and it literally stops ringing the second I reach for the phone. So uh, that's what probably will happen. But but uh, no, uh, come to us with anything you need for seeds. Of course, you can go to theprairiefarm.com and you can find all of our uh, different pollinator uh, mixes there as well. But uh, thanks again to everyone, and remember, conservation happens one mind at a time.